is no one here beside Tied me. me. My problems have all gone. There's no one, one to ride me. That you live but you gotta me. have friends. Sing it. And you gotta have friends. Hello, yeah. everybody out there oh, on the man. internet. Um, we're here. We're all by ourselves. There's no Noel to guide us anymore. We're um, weeping. I have reports. I have reports from the Ravens that Noel is doing Noel. Uh, oh, hey. Uh, <laughs> I like it. You know what, you guys? Maybe we'll be all right after all. Maybe we'll be okay. Well, I, in fact, we will be all right because we're all right-handed. Noel's left-handed. So oh, got- my God. <laughs> Caitlin, tell us about your dog. Tell us about your dog. I'll tell you guys about my dog. He is very cute. He's very stubborn. When he doesn't want to do something, he just lays down and rolls on his back and puts his feet in the air, and then you have to drag him somewhere to get him to do anything. That's me. Damn it. (laughs) I was going to make that joke. He's very lazy. He sleeps all day long, and he doesn't do anything else except for, like, sometimes he chases BB and thinks that she's a puppy, so we have to work with him on that. BB is a cat? BB's a cat. Yes, I know yeah, that, but I wanted to make sure that was clarified oh, for yeah. our listeners BB, at home. BB is my roommate's cat, and she is beautiful, and she will literally has defied gravity multiple times to try to get to Riot, but then also, <laughs> like, Riot will chase her around, and she does not like that. But then she'll come right back, like, just asking for it. Just, she's like a big, truly, a big wicked stand. She's a big, wicked stan, you could say. I don't know what that means. she's defying gravity. Oh, God. Now I know what that means. I thought it was more internet slang that I didn't understand. <sighs> yeah, no. I'm no, becoming no, no. old, you guys. I don't understand the internet slang anymore. Yeah, and you did, like, do, like, 800 really powerful dad jokes right at the beginning of this, too. So, like, yeah, yeah. you did. <laughs> I'm Cat. just... I am 28 years oh. old and spiritually I'm 60. I, so I don't feel that deep in my soul. Speaking of 28-year-olds who are spiritually 60, I cannot stop getting my boss to, like, do... He keeps sending us emails that are, like, hashtag, like, love the mo. Because he's, what? like... <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> because it's about mowing his lawn. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I assume... I assumed he was just really into like Mo from The Simpsons. Mo? I thought it was like a mustache thing, no, nope. like Movember or like Love nope. the Moment. No, nope. yeah. it's about Love the Mo. He's mowing his lawn. He loves to mow the lawn. He that... says it to his neighbors when he's out mowing the lawn. That is like the most like middle <laughs> is... American white thing I've ever heard I in know. my fucking life. That is I the know. most powerful dad energy. I feel like your boss had his wife had a baby and. Mm-hmm. He just like transformed in front of He's our eyes. Because uncontrollable now. He's absolutely Basically. uncontrollable. Oh my god. Yeah, that's fucked. so so glad to hear it though. You know, I'm glad to hear that people are doing well during these times of trouble. So with all that aside, do you guys want to play some D and D? Yeah. D and Dad. Dad and Dad. Dad and Dad. The world is young and you are a farmer. 
Things are simple. You work with your hands. Your wife works alongside you. Your children play in the orchard. Your world is good. But one day you wake up and you look across the valley to the fields that your neighbor tills. And you want them. You need them. You have awoken with a hunger you cannot account for and a voice telling you to take. So you take. You take your hunting knife and you go to your neighbor and you cut his throat. His spilled blood lays your first claim, but your hunger only grows. And the voice only says, take. You are the conqueror. You must go. You go. You take. You win. You become a chief and then a king. You grow powerful. You fight like no other. Your kingdom turns into an empire and you find out that you do not die. Your subjects wither before your eyes while the years do not touch you. There are a few dozen others like you, ageless, powerful, gifted with magic from forces they do not understand, given instructions that make no sense, and powers that work only to please an absent provider. But you are thrall to that power and your empire grows. The others rise against you and eventually you are struck down. As punishment, you are stripped of your crown and wrapped in chains, then weighted with heavy rocks. You are thrown to the bottom of the ocean to rot forever. You cannot die and you do not rot. You lay in the sunless depths. The hunger in you grows. You become strange. The voice hums inside you. Take, take, take. Time breaks all chains. One day you are free and you do it all again. And again. And again. And sometimes you win and sometimes they try to kill you. Sometimes you kill them. You become good at killing your brothers and sisters. Their spirits live in the pockets of the void that they tuck themselves into, but you remove them from the board of play. It is all a game to you. Strategies that play themselves out over centuries. You raise kingdoms just to knock them down. You raise children just to sacrifice them on the altar of your ambition. None of it matters. In the end, the board is wiped clean and you start again. Until one day you meet a girl and she protects you. And she is mortal, but she is powerful. And she is kind, and you remember your wife. That was so long ago. You don't remember her name anymore, but her smile was just like this girl. But you still have a hunger that cannot be satiated and a voice urging you on. And you burn the world to ash this time, hoping that this will be victory. This will be the end. But the girl took a piece of the world into the sky and she is so powerful and so kind and so desperate to save the world that she's done the impossible. And the ashes do not taste a victory. She despises you. You've won nothing but a scorched wasteland and a throne of twisted hunger. You try to kill her. To really kill her so not even her spirit remains. But you fail. You will never win, you tell the Force, the one that you call father now. You cannot win, and why should you keep trying? And the voice does not respond because you are right. You were always meant to lose. Every time. You cannot win this game. 
You beg the girl to take you back. She lives many lives. Sometimes she takes you in, and sometimes you try to kill her. And sometimes she tries to kill you, and every few years you wake in her bed and wonder at how beautiful she is in every body she makes for herself. You split the earth in two, and it becomes whole again. You drown the world, but the rains subside. You keep taking, and you keep losing. And the game goes on and on. You were never meant to win. So you have to change the game. Alright, so back to the present day. Holy shit. <laughs> um, so... Last time, you guys know what happened last time. I don't think we need to say it. You were left two broken husks of heroes. Uh, when last we left you, you were heading towards the forest and to the safety offered by the boars. When you arrive there, Varahara takes you in. And after you tell him all that happened at the end of the battle, he allows you to stay in his clearing. The orcs from Chakal Tahar are there too, and the orcish healers tend to your wounds. Nodana of the Sandstorm Orcs covers you with smelly poultices and dirt and gives you foul-smelling brews. And every time she turns her back, Namavi comes over to you, Slake, and gives you a brew of bad-tasting medicine which tastes like the Red Caves. Namavi tells you that it's slime candy flavored, and honestly, it's hard to tell if the flavoring is making it better or worse. Uh, you spend the next few days with the boars, resting and healing. You're wounded deeper than your injuries, and Varahara insists that you take the time you need before setting out again. You don't see Alden much in this time. He comes out occasionally to get some slop from the trough. But it seems that the trauma he endured these last few weeks has finally caught up to him and he spends most of his time deep in the forest or in his cave. What do you guys want to do? How are you doing? Let's let's start with that. <laughs> How are you guys doing? Um, I lay listlessly in the mud that I have been covered in, and I remember the last time I was covered in this mud, uh, it was with Fran. Oh. And then I, I silent tears are coming down. Similarly... Slake has been really down, um, but I think as as the days pass, they they start trying to uh, to find ways to get Corbin to cheer up because it's very disturbing to like see someone who's usually so um, full of powerful chaotic energy, <laughs> um, so so listless and sad. Um, so, yeah, I think I, you know, maybe I'm coming to check on, on Corbin. What's your plan? How are you going to cheer Corbin up? Uh, okay, so so Corbin, you're lying in the mud, right? Yeah, I'm covered up in the mud. Yeah. Up to, like, up your chin? Yeah, up Just... to my chin. My little fingers are, like, sticking out. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to cautiously <laughs> approach Corbin. <laughs> yeah, you better be cautious. Yeah, and I'm going to be like, Hey, Corbin, how are you doing today? Hi, Slake. I'm good. Yeah, I, I could see you got a lot of mud on you, like, like yesterday, and uh, and the day before yesterday, and um, and the day before that day. Um, so I just thought, you know, I'd come kind of uh ch check in. Um, 
I, uh, I, I, I brought you some cold cuts. Um, I don't know if, if you're hungry at all. Uh, Corbin's little eyes, like, shoot over to you, and he just opens his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, uh, all right. And I, uh... I, 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 like, curl up the cold cut into, like, a tube, and I, I, I bring it to, up to Corbin's little, little beak. Cor- <laughs> Corbin, um, kind of, uh, swallows it whole like a little bird. Uh, and at he- this at this time, Burger Jerger swoops down from the tree and, like, does a pass over you, Slake, and calls out, You're doing it wrong! You gotta chew it for him first! He's gonna uh, choke! Oh, no! I'm so sorry! I didn't think of that! Oh, Corbin, spit it out! And I, I pat Corbin on the back to try and get him to regurgitate I'm covered in mud! <laughs> and uh, Burger Jerger lands on your chest, giving you a big whoomph to get the, uh... <laughs> Cold cut out, and uh, she looks over to you, Slake, and opens her beak for the cold cuts. I I nervously give Burger Jerger the cold cuts, and she she chews it up and spits it into Corbin's mouth. Yeah, Corbin I, takes it like that. I, I look away uncomfortably. Corbin finishes swallowing his cold cuts, and then he looks at you, Slake, um, and also he looks at Burger Jerger, and he's got like little tears in his eyes, and he's like, he says, "Thanks, Slake." Oh. You, even though you did a wrong things. Uh, no, no problem, Corbett. And I, I tear up a little too. <laughs> so Burger Jerger, she, she marches in place on your chest for a minute. And uh, then she says, all right, today's the day, Corbin. We're getting up today. And she, she uh. digs her little beak down into the mud and finds the front of your shirt and starts to tug you up. <laughs> and she <laughs> threw a beak full of... Of shirt, she says, Frank, help me. Uh, uh, uh okay. I just ate. <laughs> I, I go over to assist Burger Jerger in pulling Corbin out of the mud. <laughs> Corbin has been pulled out of the mud. He is sitting. His legs are still buried, but he is now sitting upright. And he looks affronted. <laughs> His hair is all messy. Yeah, like, and uh, Burger Jerger takes off and does a little circle and lands next to you and says, it's progress. That's the spirit. <laughs> We're doing great. I kick my feet in the mud. Look, your leg muscles haven't even atrophied. <laughs> they never do, Slick. What do you want to do today, Corbin? We could eat some bugs. I know you like bugs. I make a weird face. I want to watch Slake eat a bug. <laughs> and Burger Jerger looks over at you, Slake. I, I, you can see very clearly on my face that I'm having an existential crisis. <laughs> <laughs> and I say, um, uh, 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 wh- what if, what if we make grotty? <sighs> All right. Ooh. And Corbin gets up and he stomps his little feet and his whole body is just covered in mud and he shakes himself like a like a bird in a little bird bath <laughs> and then like what's around us cat um well you're in the clearing so there's the waterfall pools of varahara's boar tribe uh, there are lots of boars around 
also wallowing in the mud. They personally all are like, yes, wallowing in the mud. Perfect activity for a fine <laughs> winter's afternoon. Only only your companions see that the wallowing in the mud is a sign of depression. It's a sign of depression, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, what's Are the little troughs open? Yeah, there's the troughs are out. Troughs are open. Corbin goes over to the little troughs. They're big troughs, but yes. Yeah, they're the big. God damn it. I just remembered freaking Fran took the bag of holding. Yep. Yep. I was thinking about that. What were you going to do? I was going to take out a bowl. Oh, um, yeah. Just stick your face in. <laughs> there are there are bowls from the orcs that have been staying here. Okay. Um. Uh, so Corbin takes a bowl from the orcs and he goes over to the water in the little clearing, like the little waterfall area. Mm-hmm. And he scoops up some water. And he goes over to the troughs and he picks through them and he's looking for like bugs, some <laughs> bug refuse, like some wings oh, you find, or like You find some maggots some in there. Ew. Oh, he pulls the maggots out and he puts them in there and he just <laughs> pops one right into his mouth and he goes, mm. and then he keeps pulling some more maggots out and he puts it in the water and then he grabs some of the mud, he throws some of the mud into the water and then he sniffs about. And he finds some leaves. He throws some leaves into the water. Yeah, the leaves are largely dead. It is now winter. That's even better. That adds flavor. Nah, so. That's that good dead dead leaf flavor. Good, good dead leaf flavor. Mm-hmm. And he stirs it all up with his little finger. And it's like a pasty like pudding consistency from the mud. Mm. And he offers some to Slick. That's a nice thick brew, Corbin. Burger Jurger says. <laughs> Thanks, Burger Jurger. I took my time. You know, on this one. Oh, th- thank you, Corbin. That was so sweet of you. I say, and I'm I'm looking at this, this, this sludge, and there's definitely tears in my eyes. And you, it's you know unclear if it's because I'm deeply emotionally touched or deeply uh, horrified at what I now have to do. It's probably a little of both. Um, and I I take a sip of of this pudding. And um roll constitution checks like <laughs> all right. <laughs> Fuck yeah. That's going to be an unnatural 20. It's like you it tastes bad but you are able to maintain your composure. Hell yeah. I I smile at Corbin and I say, "Wow, Corbin, this is great." Oh, Slake. Thanks. Burger Jugger oh. dips her beak into your your bowl of tea, Slake, and uh, she comes out with a maggot in her beak. And just does a, a big birdie gulp. Because, mm, nice and maggoty. <laughs> Thanks, Burger Sugar. I know you like the maggots. Yep. It's great. <laughs> I'm really glad we, we could have does this da- moment. Does Darius want some? Uh, Darius, uh, h- how you doing, little buddy? And I, 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 I ask him. But I like, I like... I, like, make a, a, a look at Darius. I'm like, hey, Darius, do you want some tea? And I kind of, like, try to wink at him so that Corbin doesn't see. Uh, Darius is curled up in your pocket and sticks his little little head out and waves his head and then burrows back into your pocket. He says, no, too cold. Ah, uh, D- Darius needs to take a little warm time nap, I guess. But I'm okay. sure there'll be plenty of opportunities later. Oh, there'll be leftovers. Don't worry. Great. 
you you see on the other side of the clearing that uh, Alden has made his way out of his cave, but Ed is trying to make a hasty escape into the woods. Oh. Uh, Corbin sees him and says, Alden! Hey, Alden! I woke up from my depression nap and made some crow tea. Do you want any? Alden looks back at you guys and he has the expression of a uh, cat that has been caught in the hallway at night when you turn the light on. <laughs> um, and he just sort of desperately looking for any sort of excuse to continue the direction he was going. I, I wave desperately at him like, come on over. <laughs> and uh, not seeing any way to gracefully exit the situation, Alden does indeed come over. Haha, <laughs> we got him. Got him. And he looks down at the crotee and then looks at you, Corbin. He says, has that got maggots in it? Yeah, it does. What am he, I, an idiot? He takes it, he pulls out a maggot and eats it and smacks his lip and goes, Neh. it's got too much dirt in it. <laughs> he hands it back. How dare you? How dare you? Uh, Corbin uh, throws his crow tea on the ground. <laughs> Alden, it's it's good to see you. You know, Corbin, you know, uh, Corbin was actually being really sweet. I, he noticed that I was feeling down and uh, he decided to make me some crow tea. Uh, He's, he's really a, a good buddy. And I, I give him a little nudge. And uh, Alden looks, examines the, the crow tea leftovers in the other bowl. He says, mm, doesn't look like crow tea to me. Looks more like boar slop. I mean, I work with what I have. Mm. He shrugs. He says, anyway, I was going to go, you know, be alone in the woods. So I'll, uh... What are you doing out there? Yeah, would you like some company? No, that's... I just... I... Uh, and uh, he looks at the three of you, including Burger Jerker, and he says, I'm not going to be able to stop you, am I? No. That's the spirit. <laughs> anyway, we're really glad that you're okay after the battle and everything, Alden. And, uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, maybe if we all went oh. for a walk together, uh, might, you know be good like, for he's not okay i'm okay no he's like worse than me <sighs> i'm fine i was just taking a depression nap but his like mom died and he was tortured Corbin. in a camp for days he has problems <laughs> i know about this alden do you need help repressing some of your memories because i'm really good at that oh gosh i'm doing a i'm i don't I don't know how to answer that question. I'm going to walk in this direction, and I can't stop you from walking in the same direction, but I also am not encouraging you. Goodbye. Okay, and we're he... coming. <laughs> I follow Corbin. Yeah, and Alden sets off into the woods. Um, he is less asshole-ish about leading you through the woods than the first time he did so. He doesn't deliberately hold branches and then smack them into your faces. Sounds but like he does somebody's not, in love. He doesn't <laughs> avoid doing that either. <laughs> so uh, he leads you guys on a, a walk up some ridges up to uh, the area where he took you the first time to view the Ilfrin Valley, which is now devoid of the army that occupied it. It is a muddy field covered in the first few layers of frost and 
he stands on the ridge, then he looks back at you guys and says, Okay, you took a walk with me. We're good now, right? But No. Where are you going now? I was just going to sit here, you know. Okay, I'll sit. I'll sit here too. You don't need to Oh, you're already sitting. Huh, okay. And uh, Alden sits on a rock and stares out at the field. You said there's frost on the field? Yes. Corbin starts to go lick it. Well, the field is way in the distance, but there's also <laughs> frost on the grass in front of you, so... Oh, okay, well, he licks that then. <laughs> you know, there's... You can get water from the stream. You don't need to just lick the ground. That's... I enjoy this. I I elbow Alden and say, He's eating things he finds on the ground again. That means he's healthy. <laughs> <laughs> so, um... You guys probably have some other mission to get to, right? You're going to be heading out of here soon? Well, we've got to find Fran and Mary. And we sort of have a lead, kind of. Well, I guess uh, it's been uh, it's been good getting to know you. And thanks for saving me and all that stuff. You want to come with us, Holden? No, God no. Why not? <laughs> Why not? Why not? I Why not? Well, this, exactly what's happening right here is a big reason. Anyway, I, I got stuff to do here. Oh, yeah, like watching this dumb field on a rock all day long. Yeah, exactly. I gotta keep watch. For what? Yeah, you know, other armies, uh, dragons. That's a problem that we are apparently going to have to deal with eventually. There's a dragon in the world. Uh, you know. That's what we're going to deal with. You should come with us because then you don't have to keep watching. You can help us, like, shoot, shoot your little arrows and stuff. Alden shakes his head and, uh, he, Alden, you know, he brings his, his knees up to his chest and, and rests his chin on his knees as he looks out over the valley and he says, It's real nice of you guys to invite me, but I, I belong here. I belong with the boars. They're my people. Well, we've really appreciated your help, Alden, and, uh, yeah, I, I understand that you probably want to spend some time with your poor dad and stuff, but, uh, you know, if we're ever, I mean, if you're ever, I don't know, out somewhere, and you see us around, or, or I guess if we come back through here, maybe we could say hi or whatever. I will avoid you like the plague. Uh -oh. We'll find you. I know, and it's it haunts my dreams. <laughs> look, he gets up from his rock. He's like, look, you have been moping in my clearing for days now, which frankly is rude because that is my spot to mope. And you've got more important things to do than laying in the mud. So... I'm gonna ask you politely to leave my freaking clearing and go save the world or whatever you're supposed to do. It's a big clearing. You could have joined us. Thanks, Alden. We appreciate your support. Yeah, whatever. 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 Ah. Uh -huh. And uh, Burger Jr. lands on your shoulder, Corbin. 
And she whispers in your ear, you two were made for each other. I'm going to burger sugar. I love you so much, but you've never come closer to death in this moment. <laughs> Swake smiles, because uh, this are, you know, this, this feels like old times. I, listen, again, I know I'm not really good at saying this sort of stuff, but uh, thanks for everything you did for the city and for the boars and for me. I, uh, I don't know what would have happened if I'd been in that camp another day, even. It was, uh, not a time in my life that I'm gonna look back on. That's a good call. Just forget, just repress it. I I'm sorry we made you wait, Alden. Hey, you came. That's the important part. So, uh, you guys... You're all healed up, and you need to go out there and start doing what you need to do. If so that's the pep talk that I'm going to give you, and that's it. We're done with it now. That was a pep talk? I, you are pepped. Look at you both. You're so pepped. <laughs> Corbin looks at Slake. Uh, what's, the, what's the expression? Are you pepped? I, I am pepped, actually. I think oh, okay. seeing, seeing two... Sundry idiots fight with each other makes me feel <laughs> very safe and, and at home. <laughs> uh, Corbin sees that uh, Slake is very pepped and he says, Wow. Wow, that was a pep talk. Huh? Wow. listeners we are back at it again here on the podcast feed um welcome to arc six the survivor's ballad what could that mean it's so mysterious uh it's cat here you're the um your friend your beautiful painting um how are you it's still the quarantines here in the present and if you're listening from the future i hope it is a gentler future than the present we are living in um but we are here to offer you a fantasy escape uh this is the one of the first episodes that i have fully edited so i hope it lives up to your exacting standards and if it does not please let my ritual sacrifice be quick and painless uh, these first three episodes are going to just be some some good old slake and corbin goofing em ups uh, then after that, we will be getting into our many guests, our star-studded guest roster, which I think, uh, we've, we've recorded a couple of those now and they've been a lot of fun. So we're really looking forward to getting those out to you guys. Um, but there, uh, there are just some, some Slake and Corbin goofs here in the beginning. It was, uh, only supposed to be a few, but there were just too many good goofs and we had to split up our recording sessions into multiple episodes. So uh, I hope you enjoy those. Um, let's see what's going on with us. If you are missing Noelle like we are, um, she's going to be doing some listen-alongs on her Twitch, at least for the first few episodes of this arc. Uh, if you are listening to this on the day it comes out, then she will be doing it on Tuesday, this Tuesday, 
the 28th. Uh, you can look at her Twitter or ours, uh, Noelle Cherie on Twitter or Dragon Dames on Twitter. We'll retweet uh, her announcements so that you guys know where to go. It'll be on her Twitch channel. Um, so if you're looking to scream along with Noelle, uh, she will be doing that. In the meantime, I do have some Patreons here to thank. As always, I am floored by the number of Patreons that we get uh, during our hiatuses between arcs. Uh, it really means so much that you guys are still coming out to donate while we are not producing new episodes. Um, so I have a whole bunch of people to thank. I'm going to do this very, very fast. Let's get through it. All right. Thank you to Kate, and also Kate, and Ty, and Lindsay, and Lexi, and Maddie, and Lauren, and C, and Targot, and Bambi Romper, and Rebecca, and Olivia M, and Heidi Stur, and Joanna, and Jay, and Zoe, and Tiniest Nail? Tiniest Nail? Not sure. Dord Helwyn, ja Jocelyn, Jacelyn, Mr. Doctor, Professor, Speakeasy, Samantha, Hannah, Whatchamacallit, Esther, Bodio, Sir Stuffles the Stalwart, Danny Gorton, Eli, does Mary always, oh god, does Mary always roll with disadvantage or is she just that unlucky? I am just that unlucky. E. Stone, Destiny Bailey, Eleonora Child, Calamara, Bidizzy, 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 Annie, NH Illustrates, and Fully Feral. Thank you all so much uh, for your donations. We are floored by your generosity. Um, thank you so much for donating to help us keep doing what we do. Help us produce more content, more merch, more uh, student loan payments. Um, and if you are not in a position to donate... Let me tell you, you're always able to donate one thing to us that we value more than all the gems and gold doubloons in the world, uh, and that is iTunes reviews. iTunes reviews are the thing that help us out the most. It helps us get more exposure, climb those charts, uh, and and get more cool people listening to our podcast. So I want to thank our beautiful iTunes reviewers. They're just so sweet and spicy. Um, I've got a certain umami just absolute umami bomb uh they are planet four ab cheese a key smash that i'm not going to try and pronounce frozen bathroom attendant audrey van falco boot princess there princess there allison humphreys cryas and official mert thank you all so so much for giving us the greatest treasure of uh, iTunes reviews. We love it. We love you. You are the light in our lives and you are the wind beneath my wings. Um, next, we have some ads. Our first sponsor today is Elderwood Academy. Uh, Elderwood Academy, you know them. You love them. They are artisans who craft amazing gaming products, including dice towers, dice trays, dice boxes, deck boxes, dice, and more. All products are crafted to look like spellbooks, scroll cases, codexes, and other awesome fantasy gear that we love. My one warning is it, in fact, might be too cool, and you might be stopped on the street by strangers being like, whoa, this thing is so cool, where did you get it? And you'll have to be like, oh, Elderwood Academy, it's very cool. Um, and, you know, that sort of attention might get overwhelming for you, so just 
beware you might need to hide your cool stuff when you're just walking down the street um so they i've talked a lot in the past about their cool spell book scroll cases all that sort of stuff but today i want to focus on the dice because they've got some really really cool dice um and i don't think we've talked about them before they have these wicked gemstone phoenix dice um that will have you rolling like you are a king a king with a treasure hoard you can get dice made of amethyst or opalite or rose quartz or raised obsidian holy shit those look so cool those are like if you have a, a assassin these are awesome dice for that there's bloodstone dice there's ruby in zyocyte i don't know what that is but it's cool and green and purple these are very cool dice for slake uh yeah so if you want to feel like an an actual dragon when playing dungeons and dragons get yourself a cool set of these gemstone dice from elderwood academy i am in love with these and i am about ready to drop all my money on precious gemstones that have been carved into dice holy shit blue sandstone it looks like a galaxy oh my god okay so uh, if that sounds like it's really cool, and it should because it's great, go to elderwoodacademy.com slash don't split and uh, find those really neat gemstone dice and become the dragon. Next, I want to tell you about another one of the amazing shows on DSPN. I'm Lisa Chen, and I host Behold Her, a monthly podcast that shines a spotlight on women in the world of tabletop games. There are so many women to behold in this amazing hobby, and our experiences as female gamers are as diverse as we are as individuals. Through one-on-one -on -one interviews, audio essays, and panel discussions, all centered around a monthly theme, the guests on Beholder share their unique stories as players, game masters, designers, artists, organizers, and so much more. Their words are inspiring, uplifting, and informative. Check out Behold Her Podcast wherever podcasts are found or visit beholdherpodcast.com. Gosh, that sounds great. All right, last thing, everybody. But, 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 last thing. We're going to have a message to Chantel. Chantel, I hope you're doing well in these dark quarantines. The code word is. Professor Houseplant. Go. Alden shows you the way out of the woods and back to, uh, the edge of the forest where you can see the uh, the city of Ilfra. And they have begun to repair things. Uh, the section of wall which was broken will never be able to be rebuilt. It was an ancient tree ring uh, that has been demolished. But repairs to the buildings are underway. And you see the gnomish engineers have turned their war machines into bulldozers and cranes. And they are working on repairing the buildings inside the city wall. 
You smell the heavily spiced Dan Mari cuisine coming from the aid camps, which feed the starving citizens of the besieged city. The Dan Mari and Madrian troops, which are largely camped outside of the city, are shivering and look miserable, as they all hail from warm coastal climates where the roughest winters are characterized by a rime of frost in the morning. And today it is just bitter cold. Uh, Corbin, how are you doing in this cold, by the way? <laughs> I was just going to say. Um, I think Corbin is... Corbin is um, cold. He's cold. <laughs> He's cold. But he is refusing to acknowledge or display his physical coldness. So he's just like walking normally, but like all of his limbs are very pink, like worryingly so. And every now and then he just like does a full body shake. Uh, I, I'm falling behind Corbin and I'm like, um, uh, say Corbin, while we're here in the city, uh, seeing as we need to resupply anyway, maybe we should get you something a bit warmer to wear for the winter. Oh, I'm fine. I honestly, it's like, to be honest with you, I can't even feel my fingers and my toes anymore. So, like, I'm pretty good. Uh, Corbin, <laughs> that's, that's not a good thing. It's not? N no, it's good when you can feel things in your body. Let's, uh, No, see that can't be, that can't be right. It's like, that's gotta be crazy. Why don't we see if anybody's selling, like, fur coats or something? Hmm. Feather coats and maybe. <laughs> uh, Kat, do we do we see anywhere that might be able to supply us with, uh, say, some warm winter clothes? Uh, so, yes, in the city, there are some meager places that you can buy supplies, mostly from the, um, the quartermasters of the two armies. That is going to be your best bet for supplies, uh, just because Ilfra does not. They have used up all of their material goods in their siege. Um, but you are able to find the, we'll say the Madrian quartermaster. Uh, she is a gnomish woman with bright red hair, and uh, she's bustling around her little camp. And uh, when she sees the two of you, she she comes to a screeching halt and says, Oh, oh, you two are finally here. Oh, the queen's told me to look for your arrival. Uh, we have, let's see here, I've got coats. For both of you. Um, ooh, that coat's gonna be too small. Give me just a minute. And uh, she disappears before you guys even say anything. Oh. Wow. And then she she reappears and it's like she comes out from an entirely different tent than she walked into. And she's got a big loaded pack in her hands. She says, okay, here's the first one. Um, And my assistant's fetching the other one. And we've got coats. Um, And... um. Okay, so here's the bad news. And she, she brings you both in close. She says, the bad news is we don't have any horses. So that's fine, right? You guys can walk. Historically, we've been very bad at keeping our horses. Yeah. So it's fine. And a second pack is brought out. And this one, there is also a letter uh, with it. And she says, oh, look, you have a letter from a queen. Not my queen, one of the other queens. And she hands it to, uh, she hands it to Slake. Oh, gee, th thank you. You have a letter from the Queen of Ilfra. Uh, the letter states that she is very grateful for all of your aid in the battle, um, and that you are always welcome in the city of Ilfra. 
She has also written to the master of the horse master's fields, and they are expecting you uh, to provide you with horses from the crowned herd, which is the royal herds of Ilfra. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. I guess, I guess we graciously accept the, uh, the winter clothing and provisions. Um, and yeah, uh, I, I guess. Yeah, you've got, in those provisions, by the way, you've got rations, you've got bed rolls, you've got uh, tents, basically everything you'll need for a cross-country trip to, first to the port of Roval, which is the uh, closest port that will get you across to the continent of Vola, and then south across the entire continent down to the Great Crater, where Estra once was. Damn. You got a long journey ahead of you. You're going to need some horses. All right. Uh, you guys head back to the woods once you are resupplied for your last night with the orcs and the boars. The two most welcoming groups that you have met on on this planet. Uh, you are able to say goodbye to Varahara, who scoops you up in his tusks and lets you lay on his belly Give him a big belly hug. And Slake, you are able to say goodbye to Namavi, who she gives you a poultice or a pouch with the Red Caves medicine and tells you to take it whenever you're feeling unwell. And then shrugs and says, or don't. I give her a big hug. (laughs) She very lightly pats your shoulder, which is just the most amount of affection she can show. And I say... I'm glad you're okay. Corbin, do you have any special goodbyes you'd like to make? I want to say um, goodbye to Nodrick. Oh, yeah. Nodrick. And, and the other, yeah, to Nodrick and the other orcs. And then I guess, like, if Alden's around, I'll say goodbye to Alden. Yeah. Uh, Nodrick gives you a big, crushing bear hug, yes. Corbin. And says, you are one of the finest warriors I've ever seen. I am honored to have saved you from the bullet. Dodrick, thank you. You've come a long way since then. You're like my dad. That's we've only met a few times, but I'm honored <laughs> that you like would say that. Just like my dad, Dodrick. <laughs> and he uh, he gives you a, you know, the handshake of kings. You grasp each other's forearms. Mm-hmm. He says, "If you ever need the sandstorm orcs again, you know where to find us." Thanks. And Alden, you don't see him that night, but. In the morning, he is waiting at the edge of the clearing. He says, Alright, I know you guys don't know how to find your way out of here, so come on. (laughs) Didn't want to let us get lost in the forest, eh? Wanted to help your good close friends out of the forest. You're a good pal, Alden. Alden, uh, he turns around and he looks at you both. He looks at Corbin and he says, Put on your coat. Uh, Corbin puts it on backwards. Oh my god, I don't understand if you are, like, purposefully this stupid or if it's a joke. And you never will. Corbin, like, runs. <laughs> runs off. He runs into the woods. Yep. With his coat on backwards. And he does run immediately back because he doesn't know where he's going. <laughs> does Corbin also put on any pants or is it just coat? No, it's just the coat. Just the coat. All right. Yeah. Progress. Progress. I uh yeah, before before I run off after Corbin, I 
I pat Alden on the shoulder and I say, Thanks for everything. I hope we meet again. I think we will. Thank, thank you. And uh, he shows you out of the forest, which is just getting colder each day. And when you emerge, the morning air hits you like a slap in the face. It is bitterly cold, and the sun takes its time getting over the horizon. Alden takes you all the way to Jolly Bridge, where the fairies used to sail daily. The little town is starting to recover and rebuild, and even in these early hours, you see people up on scaffoldings and sweeping away rubble. Alden leaves you before you hit the edge of town with a wave, and very awkwardly, Corbin, he puts a hand on your shoulder and then slaps you across the face and walks away. <laughs> oh! Oh my god! Hold me back, Slate! Uh, 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 I, 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 hold, I hold Corbin back. Corbin Alden just flees into the forest. Corbin struggles against Slake's incredibly strong hold. Uh, Burger Jerger sweeps, swoops down from the trees and uh, she lands on your shoulder, Slake, so that she can peer into Corbin's face and go, was that a kiss? Did he just kiss you? If he did, he's dead. Ooh. Slake just smiles. Corbin's got a boyfriend. Not for long. <laughs> it's fine. It's true love. I can see it from a mile away. Burger sugar. Fly. She takes off before you can retaliate. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, the ferry is at the dock at Jolly Bridge, uh, and there is a very old halfling man with a bent back and a wart on his nose that feels like it's watching you he's got more hair on his feet than on his head which is covered with a colorful knitted cap with ear flaps and he is leaning heavily against the wooden railing of his little boat and the boat looks like it's seen better days the dinghy has a lot of clearly patched holes and the sails have been stitched together from scrap and he waves to you and he says oi you the two i'm taking with me on my ferry we sure are, sir, I say. Well, welcome to my little fairy. My name is Rotter. You might think that's what's happening to the ship, but nope, that's me. Rotter. Ha 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 ha. Ha ha. How charming. It's come like aboard, that's... come aboard. We're taking an empty load down, but the nice people from the Horsemaster's Fields will be meeting us with more supplies for the city. All aboard! And uh, he ushers you onto his ferry, which creaks under your every step. Corbin jumps on it a couple times. Ah, you jump on it all you like. The old Jolly Rotter, she's a sturdy old vessel. I never thought I'd ride a Jolly Rancher across a... <laughs> the Jolly Rotter, I named her after me. Come on, keep up, kid. And uh, he pushes off from the dock. And uh, Rotter says, my job's gotten a lot easier since that old ancient god was pulled out of the lake and turned into a dragon. It'll get a lot harder if that dragon comes back to be part in the lake again. But right now, it's a clear sailing all the way across. You've uh, worked here a long time then, uh, Mr. Rotter? Yes, my whole life I've been a ferryman on the band lake, though. 
I suppose we'll have to come up with a new name for it, now that those bands are gone. And he uh, looks over the side of the lake, and where once there were these glittering bands of ice which crisscrossed the bottom, it is now just shattered crystalline structures which wink from the lake depths. And look at that! You see on the edges? Ice! Never seen ice on this lake. It's never frozen over before. Once winter really sinks its teeth in, you might be skating my fairy across. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess. Or, or, you know, you could just walk. That sounds like absolute nonsense. Who walks across a lake? Who's done ever done that? <laughs> I think that might be illegal. That? <laughs> uh, you... See, as you were on the uh, the ferry, you pass by the ruined field, which was the site of your great battle just a few days ago. It's quiet now, and the only movement is from a few figures who pick their way through the remains of the battle, looking for anything of value. These people all have their faces painted bone white, with their eye sockets and cheekbones darkened, creating a skull mask from the distance. Hey, uh, who are those people over there? Oh, ah, those? Those would be the followers of Vioni, coming to scavenge from the battle. And oh. it's like, you remember, you know, you've seen the uh, followers of Vioni not very often. The priests of Vioni, they go through the ruins of a great battle, and they uh, take anything that is wor worth anything and take it for the altar of Vioni. Once Vioni has blessed these offerings, uh, then anybody who is in need is allowed to take from them, and it is sacrilege to sell anything from the altar of Vioni. Some of them look up and they wave to the boat as it passes by, which is a little incongruous as their skeletal faces and their cheerful grins. And uh, Rotter begins humming a song as you are, are sailing across this calm lake. He sings... When dark of night, when battle brood, O conquest laughed and boomed, the shield was strong and walls were tall, and neath the lake a shadow loomed. That's beautiful. <laughs> Why'd you stop? <laughs> Keep yeah. singing! Oh, I don't know the whole thing. Some bard in town was making it up as he went along. That's, uh... That's how you can keep calling this place Band Lake. I suppose. Put a maybe band we'll out build here. a concert hall. That's a great yes. idea. Yes. You should sing at it. You have a beautiful voice. You have a really great oh, voice. Oh, thank you. Here, I, I remember a bit more. Here's the chorus of the song. It goes, survive, 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 survive. We prayed for our survival. Isn't that good? That was amazing. It was like, he said survive like 16 times. It was really good. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Maybe I'll be the most famous singer of Ilfra when you get back here, huh? Hell yeah. I'm sure you will, sir. So by the time you've reached the landing on the southern shore of the lake, the sun has worked its way up to shedding a little bit of warmth on your faces. There's not a cloud in the sky, but somehow that just makes the day seem colder. And uh, Rodder looks up at the sky as you are banking the ferry on the opposite shore and says, eh, it's probably going to be too cold to snow right now, but give it a few days. It'll warm up enough for the 
flurries to start flying. You ever walked through a blizzard? Yeah. Yeah, I have, actually. Uh, I haven't. Well, then, if uh, this one's walked through a blizzard, I'm sure you'll be in good hands. Well. Yep. Yes, Slake, you are. You're safe with me, Slake. On the shore, you see there's a group of five figures standing, and uh, two of them rush forward to help Rotter pull the ferry in. At the center of the group, there stands a small woman with a long, pale braid and arms the size of tree trunks. She is bundled in a heavy, fur-lined cloak pinned with a golden horsehead clasp. Arrayed around her are uh, four teenage apprentices, two of which uh, ran forward to help Rotter. They all have cloak pins with the same design, but cast in silver or bronze. Uh, as the two get the fairy pulled in, the others begin pulling sacks and of supplies from wagons. Uh, the apprentices, there are four of them. One of them is a green-haired half-elf girl, and the other is a broody human boy with his hair covering his face. There mm. is also a uh, big-boned gnomish boy who is moving at his own pace. The last uh, apprentice is an orcish girl who does not dismount her horse, unlike the rest. Uh, she seems to be wearing some sort of a special saddle, which keeps her legs in place on her horse. And the woman in the center steps forward to meet you as you come off of the ferry, and she holds out a hand to, to shake your hand, Slake. Uh, which is, welcome to the Horsemaster's Fields. My name is Melia. I am the Master of the Fields. It is good to meet you. The Queen wrote, wrote of your arrival. Oh, uh, uh. Thank you, um, ma'am. It's it's great to meet you, too. Uh, I, I'm Slake, and uh, this is Corbin. Hey. Are your horses, like, special? Uh, some of them are. All, all of them are. All of our horses are the finest that you'll find in Roke. I, as I said, Amelia, these are my apprentices, and she motions them each in turn. There's Sandy, and that's the green-haired half-elf. Misha, the boy with the hair in his face. And uh, that there is Olio. Olio, please pick up the pace just a little bit faster. Come on. And uh, Tasha on the horse. They are my apprentices and will one day, one of them will hopefully succeed me as the master of the fields. And all the apprentices wave to you guys and ta uh, Milia clears her throat and they all hop back to work very quickly. I wave back. And the apprentices uh, get their cart full of supplies loaded onto the ferry fairly quickly. Uh, it looks like they are very good and uh, efficient, moving as a, as a weld-oil machine, as a team. Uh, they've been working together for some time. And uh, Milia, she looks out towards the fields and, and motions for the two of you to look as well. And in front of you, the Horsemaster's Fields is laid out in a rolling field of rippling brown stalks. It is a wide rolling prairie, and even though the grass has died back after the first couple of frost, the pale dead stalks are still taller than your heads. There's a path down the center of these this grass, which uh, once the ferry is loaded up and Rotter is waved goodbye, Melia motions for you to take with her. Today, we will just get you down to the settlement, and tomorrow we will work on getting you some horses. When do I- I want to meet the horses. 
<laughs> Patience. There are horses back at the settlement, but they will, uh, they are not the ones that you will be taking. Tell me about how the horses we get are going to be different. I need to know the exact differences, please, about, of the horses, please. Thank you. Uh, the orcish girl rides up next to you and says, hi, Tasha, this is oh, the kind hi. of horse you'll have. And she pats the, the mane of her horse, says, this is Lavender. She's one of the crowned herd. Oh, hello, Lavender. And Lavender is a very, she's actually a fairly small horse, very slender and nimble. And uh, Tasha pats her again and says, when I was a little girl, I had an accident and I can't use my legs anymore. But Lavender here, she's able to be my legs for me. The crowned herds are, they're smart and they're beautiful and agile. And Sandy, the uh, the half-elf pipes in, they're just the prettiest horses. Oh my gosh, I've always been so, so jealous of you and Lavender, Tasha. Can I animal handle Lavender? You, uh, you can try. 27. You look deeply into Lavender's eyes, and you feel like there's a connection there. You feel like there must be a connection there. And then Lavender turns away from you. <gasps> and uh, Tasha leans down and laughs. She says, you can't bond with Lavender. She's bonded to me. Once one of the crowned herd has chosen you to be their rider, they won't accept anybody else. Holy shit. Are you and, saying uh, that if we forget about our horses again after this, like, it's, it's, that's it? Like, the, a horse god's gonna come down from the heavens and fucking kill us? Uh, Oleo trundles up from behind and he says, oh, no, don't worry about that. The crowned herds will always find you. That's what makes him so special. And uh, Sandy says, Some say that the crowned herd is descended from an ancient god. I mean, I don't know if it's true, but I mean, look at those horses. They're so beautiful. They have to have a god's blood in them. Like a Are horse you... god? There's a horse god? Well, no. Don't play games with me. Melia looks back at, at you and says, not anymore. There was a god of horses many moons ago, many ages ago. Did you kill him? <laughs> she laughs. No. No one knows what happened to the god Sernunas, but we still have uh, altars to him. Corbin, that name should be familiar so to you. So I have some news for all of you. I have some news. I have some news. Horses and are not deer. And everybody looks at you absolutely blank. Yeah, I'm also very confused. Corbin you don't turns even know in... what deer are. None of these Corbin, people... Corbin turns into a deer. <laughs> uh, and everybody looks and they look very confused. They're like, what? What was that? What has happened? What? What is? What kind of creature is that? Corbin prances around and tries to say I'm a deer, but instead he says, Ew. And uh, Sandy grabs Tasha by the arm, and uh, Tasha leans down close to Sandy, whispers, It's just like the altar back at the at the hall. And the girls look very excited. Yeah, Corbin prances around a little bit, and he, like, does a little hop. Melia puts her hands on her hips and says, If you are done with whatever that is, <laughs> Not you still have a long way magic. to go. <laughs> Not impressed. Not impressed by this boy that turned into a creature that her eyes have never seen the likes of before on this earth. Um, Corbin prances alongside um, 
what's her name? May? May? Uh, Melia? Melia. Prances al- Corbin prances alongside Melia uh, and just like keeps pace. I may have called her Melia at some point too. I don't know. I can't. Who who knows what pronunciations are? Whatever. Whatever. Yeah, who cares? Words are yeah. fake. So uh, Melia shakes her head and then uh, you, Corbin, as you come up the crest of this hill with Melia, you see uh, on the at the bottom of the hill, there's a group of structures tucked along the hillside. In the center, there's a large round building, and out front, there's an enormous carved horse, which seems older than anything else here. Horses move in and out of this center building, which has its doors flung wide, so you can see that the inside is a huge and well-stocked barn. There are more of these buildings dotting in the distance, giving the herds places to shelter in the cold. There are about a dozen other buildings around the statue, including one that is larger and finer than all the rest. And uh, Amelia points to this one and says, that's where we'll be staying. Come, we're not too much further. Uh, wait, so, Amelia, what you're saying is people come here and they sleep and then they spend all day with horses. Yes, that, that is our life. So like a, like a camp? Burger Durger, she she marches in place on your chest a little bit, Corbin. <gasps> and uh, and she says, I'm sorry, Riot just popped up. Oh, oh hi, buddy. The widow baby. The widow baby. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a little floppy ear. He does. He has that floppy ear a lot. It's very cute. He's very cute. Oh, Riot. Okay, okay, I'm moving on, I'm moving on. (laughs) 